Welcome to another episode of Electable. I'm Deb Chubb, and I'm here again today with Destiny Scott Wells, um, our resident legal expert um, here at Indiana and uh, working on democratic politics, also deputy chair for the state Democratic Party for coalitions and expansion. And I just cannot give you enough credit for the work you're doing in that area. Uh, that is a, a close to my heart. The collaboration and coalition building is something that I, you know, was the, I think the biggest thing I took from uh, Stacey Abrams' experience in Georgia, and I think is so important and is so valuable and could make such a difference in Indiana. And you are really doing great work to promote that. So, so you're awesome. So, uh, but today we are here to talk about um, reproductive health rights. So um, I kind of feel like, you know, just don't get me started. Um, <laughs> I have been working on this issue. I am old and I have been working on this issue for decades in Indiana. And um, it's, it's, it keeps going backwards is the problem. Uh, so uh, uh, many women who are young uh, don't realize um, what, what oppression, what physical risk uh, comes uh, with illegal um, abortions. And so um, don't really appreciate how important this is. Um, so, and of course we have over the years advanced many um, birth control methods um, that are you know, much more uh, effective and um, can be used um, and hopefully avoid abortions, but abortion still has to be there. This is, and, and in my opinion, you know, this, this is a, I'm sorry, I'm Destiny. Can I just say first, welcome to the show. <laughs> I'm always happy to be back. No, you keep going, Deb. I mean, you, because you mentioned earlier my position with the party um, in building coalitions. And we were just all on a call last night together, weren't we? Trying to get That's women right. organized because we see, we've been talking about that this, that this is coming. So this, we're not just talking about this, um, you know, some days it may feel like we're, we're talking about it in an echo chamber, um, but it is a, an issue that, I mean, is just, is going to be at the forefront of next year's um, legislative session. And it's going to, I hope, um, galvanize women into action. So in order to do that, um, you know, we both talked about being able to understand just what exactly is going on. And so I'm happy to be here to talk to you about it. That's great. So, and I'm just gonna start right off with my argument about uh, women's right to abortion. Uh, I consider it an equal protection issue uh, because uh, no firefighter, no soldier, no police officer, no doctor is required by law to risk their own health or their life or to risk their own financial security to save the life of another being. Only pregnant women are being required by law to give up their financial security to risk their health, which is, of course, as you know, in this state, it's uh, safer to have a child in the West Bank uh, in, um, uh, in Israel uh, than it is to have a baby here in Indiana. Um, so the risk is not insignificant. Uh, and to risk her life um, to, you know, to save this other human being that no one is gonna care about once it is born. So uh, to me, this is an equal protection uh, issue. And of course, 
Um, and of course, now it's become comical uh, when people are running around saying, you can't make me wear a mask to protect somebody else's life. Really, but you can tell a woman that she has to risk her health to protect a potential other life. So, okay, they're okay. Right, and we, we see there. that with, um, you know, recent statements by the Indiana Attorney General Todd Rakita. And we're really not going to talk much about him today, but, you know, that the sun won't set, he says, you know, right before Indiana um, goes or uh, files or whatever yes. in response. Oh, and yeah. And so, he yeah, did a tweet saying, um, you know, we will protect Hoosiers right to make their own medical decisions. Like, right. Uh, okay. Right. Unless it is a woman, because then a woman shall be subjugated to his political dogma. Uh, and so that's where we are. That's the reality we're in. So what do right. we need to do? Um, right. Oh, so that, and of course that brings up, and we want to get it out there right away about um, October 2nd, um, this coming Saturday, all over this country, there are marches being planned uh, to go out and demonstrate your will to fight uh, more further oppression of women and their reproductive decision-making um, all over the country. So I know there's one in Indianapolis, there's one in Fort Wayne, of course there's one in Washington, DC, uh, there's one in Vigo County. Um, so they're everywhere. So look, uh, look locally, find your local demonstration and get out there and uh, you know, be heard, be counted, uh, make sure people know that you are ready to fight for this. So, right. okay. 10.30, so, um, 30 a.m. And because women are not fickle, masks are required and we're all absolutely fine with it. Outdoors, masks required, 10.30 a.m. Um, downtown Indy, I believe at the state house. Excellent. Okay, so let's get into the nitty gritty a little bit. So um, this has all really come to a head now because of the Texas law, SB8, that was uh, enacted by, at the state level. And then of course um, there was, um, you know, there was an attempt to enjoin the uh, implementation of that. Um, and then the Supreme Court did something that they've been doing more and more of, uh, which is kind of bizarre. And so I'm gonna ask you to explain first the law, SB8, because it of course is, it's brand new, new idea, um, very different. And of course, no one I think is really even, you know, uh, got their head around the possible implications of this kind of law. Uh, and then, um, and then I want you to talk about what the Supreme Court did about it. Sure. Um, I do want to point out that I went to law school in Texas at UT Austin. So I often talk to Texas attorneys who are my classmates and I would say things leading up to SB8, like, well, I always tell people, at least it's not Texas, you know, or I would say, look at SB8, this is crazy. And they would say, oh, don't worry, there'll be an injunction. They weren't really sweating it. Now I talk to them and I say, thanks, Texas. Thanks, because this thing is catching like wildfire as to um, red states and what they may do in their um, next le legislative session. So Texas SB 8 uh, bans almost all instances of abortion after six weeks. The law contains no exceptions for pregnancies that result from rape, sexual abuse, incest, or even pregnancies that involve um, a fetal defect that is to the extent incompatible with life after birth. So that woman is expected to carry that child full term, um, that, that fetus. And so it applies to anyone who performs or induces 
um, such of a, an abortion, we'll call it a prohibited abortion. Uh, anyone who knowingly aids or abets um, one of these abortions. So that raises questions like to what extent could services that provide education for abortion fall under this. Um, so it, it could, you know, it, hypothetically, and I think actually already is showing that it has this chilling effect on abortion services and education. And then anyone who intends to perform or aid a prohibited abortion. There was recently an article by um, a healthcare provider um, where he intentionally violated the law, you know, kind of sent out a test case um, saying that he would provide um, abortion services. And um, I will put a pin in who the um, first plaintiffs that stepped up were because it's, it is comical. Um, and so how, what this law does is it um, relies on the ordinary citizen to bring forward a case. Uh, normally it would be the state's executive branch that would enforce the law um, in Texas and everywhere else, but Texas has decided to pretty much deputize any citizen doesn't even have to be um, a Texas citizen to really serve as a bounty hunter to, to root out these cases. And then you have lawyers that are involved that, you know, will help pro bono, just depending on what side of the um, of the issue they're on. Right. So I would imagine the doctor felt safe in doing this. He's probably going to have pro, pro bono legal services. Um, however, if you um, bring forward the case, you can get up to $10,000 uh, for a claim. In addition um, to attorney's fees? Can't yes. remember now. I think yes. it might be. So the, and that, that is, that is um, really the kicker, right? So the, the, the person that bears all the expense, um, even winning the case really is the defendant. Um, I mean, because the plaintiff doesn't have to incur those attorney's fees. Right, right, right. Um, and why did they do this this way? They did it because they're trying to end run judicial review. Um, and so, you know, what is judicial review? That's where the Supreme Court can step in. Well, a court can step in and determine the constitutionality of a law and strike it down if they don't think it's unconstitutional. So by by in running this and evading judicial review, um, it's really kind of amounts to what is a legislative like um, a, uh, uh, I'm sorry. Uh, a, a scheme, basically a scheme. Well, and part of the, it's that, it's that there's no state action, right? So lawsuits, um, you know, uh, against the government in, uh, enforcing this law require, you know, you have to have state action for it to be, you know, applicable and everybody look at it to get standing. Uh, and so now there's no state action. These are just private people doing it. So, although a lot of people are saying that, you know, there, there will be some level of state action just to make this thing work. Uh, and that might then allow judicial review, like you say. So, um, but yeah, it's a it's crazy thing, crazy, yeah. crazy thing. Um, a legislative scheme as the words of um, the Attorney General, Merrick Garland. Right, so, okay, so then two things happened. Um, you know, it was enjoined, um, but then the Supreme Court did this interesting thing. So tell us about that. So they, 
took up the case in a in an odd way. They they ruled from what is called the shadow docket. So um, Whole Women's Health, you see them often as um, a party in these cases, um, protecting women's reproductive freedom. And they ask for this um, Texas SB8 um, to be halted because they cannot provide abortion services that are um, constitutionally afforded to women. So the Supreme Court hears it from the shadow docket. Uh, the shadow docket is, it's been around for a while, but it's really gotten a lot of attention lately um, because th the Supreme Court is using it a lot more. So when they take up uh, a case on the shadow docket, they um, hand down an order or summary um, decision that does not receive a full briefing and or oral argument. Um, and we see it used often um, with like politically charged emergency relief. Procedurally, this is done um, from the calendar that they use to issue their um, case management orders. And it, they, they are able to do this without really giving um, a substantive opinion when they hand it down. Uh, so you can see um, an opinion issued and it, it's not even signed and doesn't say anything. Um, so what happened was the Supreme Court issued this unsigned opinion from that docket and it allowed SBA to stand. So the Supreme Court will say, well, we didn't rule as to the constitutionality. It's just as to procedure. But Texas SBA with this order, I mean, this it, it doesn't say anything, yet it circumvents the rights of thousands of Texas women in receiving abortion services. Right. And implements in a clearly unconstitutional law. It, right. It is, it is shocking. It is just shocking that this has happened. And, and, you know, the irony is as much as it's shocking, I guess it shouldn't have been um, because the frequency that we see this court use the shadow docket, um, these opinions, they were handed down, I believe it said four times between the um, Bush and Obama administration, but with the um, Trump administration, they did it 28 times. 28 yeah. times. Um, and these are often hotly debated policies uh, that go into effect without being fully litigated. And then the Supreme Court is at odds with the lower court's findings. Um, so, and then another thing to point out is that, um, you know, when we look at abortion, uh, and you look at it compared to any type of religious liberty argument, um, the, the Supreme Court uh, never rules on those from the shadow docket, right? <laughs> they aggressively intervene. They're fully briefed and argued. Um, but with abortion, they were just very quick to issue this. Um, yeah. And, you know, the shadow docket actually has some relevance uh, to Indiana. Uh, if you look at when the shadow docket was most recently used, um, it was in a case called the um, United States versus Dustin Higgins, and it was an execution, um, you know, federal death penalty statute case. 
And basically what happened there was Higgins was um, sentenced to death in the early 2000s in Maryland. But there is a statute that um, basically says that that um, offender is to be executed um, in a manner prescribed by the state. So while he was sitting there um, on death row, uh, Maryland abolished its death penalty. Uh, And so when it came time for him to be executed, there was no manner prescribed as by the state that he was um, found guilty and sentenced of this crime. And so at the very end of the Trump administration, the Supreme Court um, heard the case on the and rolled from the shadow docket and totally went against the lower court's findings that, um, you know, this could be illegal. And uh, Higgins ended up being executed or Higgs ended up being executed at the 11th hour of the Trump administration with just days before President Biden took office. And that happened. um, That was the 13th execution during the Trump administration. So that just shows, I mean, these highly politically charged um, issues are being rolled on from from that docket. Yeah. So uh, we're going to have to have a whole nother discussion about, you know, what we do about that. Um, so um, in the meantime, then uh, Department of Justice uh, stepped up. Uh, Garrett Mer- um, Merrick Garland, um, um, a, a U.S. Attorney General, said, we're going to step in here and we're going to protect women uh, and their right to seek um, a legal abortion. So, um, and his position was basically like, you cannot, states cannot implement unconstitutional laws. I mean, is that right? Is that your reading? Yeah. And um, what happened was, I mean, because everybody was like, wait, this can't be, there's always supposed to be an injunction. (laughs) There's supposed to be a stay granted and we're actually subject to this. Like women are going to have to drive from Texas. Texas is very, very big. I mean, (laughs) heaven forbid if you're pregnant in West Texas and need an abortion. And so, um, you know, what is what is the federal government going to do to save us from from this procedural procedural end run of judicial review? So on um, September 2nd, Biden, President Biden made a statement that he was going to consult DOJ. And then it happened very quickly Um, by September 9th, DOJ files a case against Texas um, to completely overturn SBA. It didn't attack attack just little pieces of SBA. It wants the entirety of it um, uh, declared invalid. It also is seeking a preliminary and permanent injunction against enforcement and for costs to be awarded. So, um, you know, now we're all waiting on the injunction. and but until then, Texas abortions are are pretty much still legal to um, right now. And when they filed this, they filed it on um, you know on a couple different grounds, three specifically. So first, um, the supremacy clause in the Fourteenth Amendment, you know, saying that Roe and Casey guarantee women's right to abortion up to viability. That's about twenty four weeks. Um, by federal interpretation, I think the state of Indiana, it's like around 22. Uh, secondly, that the federal law preempts the act, uh, state to act. And third, this um, pretty genius argument 
uh, that there is an intergovernmental immunities exception. So what does that mean? This It means that a state agency can't interfere with what the federal government mandates. So, you know, if you have a federal facility that provides services to rape um, or incest victims, then there's a question if a private citizen, the, these quote unquote bounty hunters can bring a private action against a federal employee. And so that would also violate the supremacy clause. So that's what they're arguing and to turn it over um, completely. Excellent. Okay, now the question becomes, what about here in Indiana? Um, it was not, I don't know, the ink wasn't dry on the Supreme Court procedural ruling from the shadow docket. Uh, before Liz Brown, Senator Liz Brown here in Indiana um, said, yeah, I'm gonna be submitting that very same law here in Indiana. Um, sure. Of course, um, our Attorney General Todd Rakita said, "Oh yeah, I'm with you. We're gonna we're gonna impose this kind of a law here in Indiana." Um, and I don't know if other legislators are jumping on board or not, but I suspect they will. So, um, so that would come in January of 2022. We don't know what's going to happen yet, as far as um, you know, DOJ um, being able to really crush the law in Texas. Um, and we don't know, frankly, even if the DOJ is able to crush the Texas law, whether it will require another action by the DOJ to do it in Indiana, or um, will uh, you know the whoever the uh, scary people are who are manipulating the law and uh, in, in however they can to uh, to punish women, um, will find some tricky way to change this law in Indiana such that it, um, you know, does not fit exactly into the ruling uh, that um, the DOJ is uh, seeking now. Uh, and so that we have to fight this all again. So now what? <laughs> well, and as, as there are, you know, I, um, I didn't mention it earlier, but the, um, the first uh, plaintiffs out of the gate are disbarred attorneys, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. <laughs> which is a really absurd thing, right? One that I think is in prison. I mean, yeah, he's in about it. they've, they've empowered, yeah. they've empowered people to sue um, doctors from prison over a random woman they do not know, um, you know, most likely getting an abortion. Well, On the other was, one, disbarred attorney from, I think, Chicago like Illinois. I think it is Illinois. Yeah. So, and it was kind of funny because both the, both the defendant in this case and the attorney who's suing him both said, uh, you know, they were making the point of how ridiculous this is that a disbarred attorney who is in um, some kind of state custody uh, can sue. And the doctor who is being sued also saying, you know, look how crazy this is. A disbarred attorney could, you know, can, can sue me and, and right. is entitled to $10,000 plus attorney's fees. Right. And so in all the absurdity, somebody like Senator Liz Brown out of the Fort Wayne area thinks it's a great idea to say, well, we plan on doing this next session. And actually, there was that whole question there in limbo. Like people were a little on edge. Um, well, people in the know <laughs> that care about the rights were a little on edge because it was right before redistricting um, in Indiana. And so they were wondering if when um, session reconvened, if uh, the special session, if they were going to take up abortion. Um, they didn't. But if you'll notice, and, and I'm just I'm just throwing it out there, um, Liz uh, Brown's district has now been 
pretty insulated, uh, pulled out into more rural area. And she now has a, a safer seat, um, by most accounts. So they didn't take it up only did redistricting. Um, well, have they ended the session yet? Um, no, but Senator Bray, uh, the, uh, Senate pro temp has went on the record saying that they will not be taking anything up, but redistricting. Um, you know, some people were thinking maybe there'd be a floor amendment, uh, issued, but, uh, wow. there, yeah, we didn't see that. Um, and so but something else happened in Indiana. So, but go ahead and finish your thought. No, go ahead. <laughs> so, okay, sorry. So here's the other thing that happened. Indiana, um, you know, passed its own laws uh, that restricted women's access to abortion rights. Um, the uh, federal court, um, the federal district court, oh, yeah. um, struck down um, many of those and um, uh, um, uh, enjoined them from taking place. And then the federal appeals court, the Seventh Circuit, as it sits in Chicago, um, reversed that. So these laws that had been passed in Indiana were suddenly now legal again. Well, uh, legal. Right. But, we know, talked about that last. It was, it, like I said before, Whole Women's Health. So it was Whole Women's Health versus Rakita and a, um, a couple other defendants. And yeah, we were super happy and celebratory on the last call. Um, right. because we, th we thought that there was a positive outcome, um, you know, and AG Rakita said, uh, that, you know, they would appeal immediately and that opinion, um, by the, uh, appeals court by the seventh circuit was two to one. Um, so two men and then one woman dissenting, um, judge, judge, uh, Diane Wood and, uh, you know, she has a record of, uh, dissents that um, basically call call out her her counterparts, and you know she did the same same one in this, dropping in a footnote that said her colleagues were extensively tinkering with the text to achieve their outcome. Um, but so, I well, and the point being it. that we need women in you know in positions of power who can make these decisions, and we just don't have enough of them. Right. That, well, is the, that is the point. Well, we have a lot of Trump attorneys now, too. So, I mean, that's Trump true. judges. We have a lot of Trump judges, too, now. That's true. You're unfortunately. right. Um, and so uh, I will just kind of read through the list just to kind of remind people what those, um, those new restrictions are that were shot down and now are back up. Uh, they are uh, that only for, um, physicians can perform chemical abortion. So chemical abortion is just when you to give somebody a, a, a set of pills uh, and they go home and they take those pills. 55% um, so, uh, of uh, Hoosier, of Indiana abortions are chemical. Right. And so, so uh, only a doctor, not a nurse, not a nurse practitioner or other trained healthcare professional uh, must give that pill to the woman. Um, of course, you know, so that means more expense, more time, more, you know, limited um, staff to interact with women who are seeking this. Um, another one is uh, that only hospitals and ambulatory surgical centers can provide second trimester abortions, um, not a well-equipped staff clinic. Um, patients have to receive an in-person counseling before an abortion, which means of course that you have to have a second appointment so a woman has to go in, have a counseling session, and then 
go home and then come back again, take another day off work. Uh, patients have to receive in-person physical examinations before an abortion. So again, that's an additional appointment, another day off work, another day to find childcare for her children, and of course, another travel expense. Um, and then also um, that uh, medical staff um, have to do all these uh, services in person, no more telemedicine for, for prescribing and talking and doing the counseling and the, uh, and the prescribing of the chemical abortion pill. And of course, this is, I mean, the only medical service that is specifically not allowed to be handled by telemedicine. So many other things, counseling services, other doctor appointments, follow-up appointments, doctor interviews with patients, all of that is fine to be done via telemedicine, but not the doctor interview discussion um, and counseling of a woman who's seeking an abortion. So, um, so here we are and it's bad and it could get worse. So this, um, I, I don't know, I just, I spent a lot of time being so super just angry about all of this. And um, I will be out there somewhere on Saturday screaming my head off. Um, and, and I encourage everyone to do that. But as you know, my biggest ask is that women run for office. This is really the only way to allow a legislature to view women as full citizens. Uh, only if they have fair representation in the legislature. And, um, and we are you know, woefully underrepresented, less than 25% in Indiana. So that's my big right. push. We need and to do that, we need women. It doesn't even have to be a Texas SB8 style bill that goes forward in January when session starts because Dobbs v. Jackson will still be heard. Um, it'll be um, argued on December 1st of this year in front of the Supreme Court. That's the 15 week ban on abortion coming out of Mississippi, um, which, you know, violates the constitutionality of uh you know, that women can receive um, an abortion up to viability again without state interference. Um, so it will be basically questioning Roe v. Wade, Roe v. Wade and Casey, and probably should expect that at minimum it will be chipped away, uh, chipped away at. And so because that law will, or those cases will be um, heard and then an opinion issued in late spring, summer of 2022. And, and we've spoken about this before that we anticipate um, anti-women's reproductive freedom legislation to be put forward um, in the Indiana General Assembly. So whether that be the Texas SB8 style bill that Senator Liz Brown speaks about or just your typical um, Representative Peggy Mayfield led um, legislation that she puts forward pretty much every year that's litigated pretty much every year um, and costs the taxpayers every that's year right. will be um, will be put forward. So uh, Roe v. Wade, I, I want to end on this. Um, our women's Indiana Women's Democratic um, Coalition mm -hmm. is going to do an event 
third week of June of January, because that coincides with the 49th anniversary of Roe v. Wade. And um, it's late enough in January that we'll probably have a good idea of what bills are being put forward and just short of the filing deadline to run for office. Um, so good. Yes. So good. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much. Um, this is just a um, heartbreaking uh, topic. And it just, it's so infuriating. It's so diminishing of women's being and, you know, full citizenship, uh, you know, on the planet um, to be tossed around in this way uh, is just, it's just heartbreaking. Um, and we just can't have it. So of course, as, as, I, as I said before, please find a local event in your community. There are happening all over the state and in Washington, D.C., but also think about running for office. Please think about running for office. Um, I have worked with women running for office for a few years now. I mean, I've worked on many women's campaigns over many years, but, um, but when I really went out and recruited uh, and really talked to women and really tried to convince women to run, the, one of the most common responses was, you know, I'm not qualified. I don't know enough. And, um, and, I, and I just wanna say to women, if you really think you are not qualified, find a woman who is. And it's not that I think that you are not qualified. I think that that will make you realize that you are qualified yourself. So please, please run. And guess what? There are a lot of us out here who want to help. And we are ready to wrap our arms around you and uh, help you run, and help you file, help you run, help you campaign. And uh, we really have to have more women. There's no other way to do this. There just isn't. We have seen that. So, all right, that's my last feel. Okay, Destiny, any other great words of wisdom for us before we go? Um, see you at the march. Excellent, excellent. See you there, be there, be counted. All right, thanks again, Destiny. We will see you next time.